Someone must have been telling lies about Joseph K. He knew he had done nothing wrong, but one morning he was arrested. Well, I'm sure he will be okay. Ah, uh, I get it. Ah, uh, yeah. You do? Okay. Yeah. Uh. Okay. You're listening to Outside of a Dog, where we decide whether great literature is actually any good. Hello and welcome to Outside of a Dog. My name is Jonas H. And my name is Christian S. Hi. This episode we read one of the greatest German novels of all time, The Trial by Franz Kafka. Well, it's not originally called The Trial, obviously. It was published as Der Prozess. Written either with a Z or with a sharp S or with a double S, depending on what version of German spelling you utilize. And a C sometimes. Oh yes, originally. C as well. So odd. We'll stick with the trial. The trial. Kafka's name has become synonymous with a certain style. He has been adjectivized. Kafkaesque means things that are confusing, that don't lead anywhere, that are frustrating and mysterious, but not in a, an exotic or somehow interesting way. Kind of like our podcast. Sometimes at least. But what is so special about Kafka and about The Trial, which is sometimes seen as his major opus? Franz Kafka was an odd fellow, and we will come back to him as a person later on. For now, all you have to know is that throughout his life, he wasn't actually a professional writer. He was an insurance man. He wrote at night. He lived with his parents throughout most of his life, and he wrote alone in his room writing and writing obsessively. He had some literary friends, but he only published one short story, Metamorphosis, during his lifetime. Wait, wait, wait. Are we talking about Lovecraft again? Because there's some parallels there. An hmm. odd fellow who doesn't write professionally, but, well, maybe we'll get some other parallels in the writing as well. The trial was written between 1914 and 15 before Kafka abandoned it. So what we have now is actually not a complete novel, it is a fragment. It was published after his death in 1924 by his best friend Max Broad. Now some say that Kafka actually asked Broad to burn all his manuscripts. Some say that he then later asked him not to burn the manuscripts. It's disputed. Basically all we know is Broad published them and German literature is richer for it. The novel starts with the scene we just heard, the arrest of Josef K. by people who claim to be officers of the law, but they refuse to tell him what he has done wrong and he doesn't know either. So what starts now is a long and Byzantine way through what seems to be a twisted version of the legal system. Nothing is as it should be. The court, for example, meets in a tenement building, in the back of a tenement building. And in the end, K doesn't succeed in proving his innocence. He is killed and dies like a dog. So obviously, odd things are happening. The novel isn't really made up of chapters, as you would expect, but rather of disjointed scenes. Partly, probably because of the way that it was written and the fact that it is a fragment, but it is also intentional. It has a certain dreamlike quality to it. Yes, indeed. I think that is something that most of Kafka's work actually have. In the castle, you have the same oneric quality that scenes go over in other scenes without much rhyme or reason. In the metamorphosis, a main character suddenly finds himself transformed into a bug. And that is something that yeah, makes up this Kafkaesque notion that you feel as the reader as part of a strange dream where you can't tell what is going to happen next. 
But what makes it so very dreamlike is that everyone accepts it. Joseph K puzzles at it sometimes, and he thinks that's rather odd, but he doesn't say this is completely impossible. He just says it's odd. And when you're in a dream, you don't know that you're in a dream, as Leonardo DiCaprio told us. So the people just take this for granted. This is the reality now. Why question it? I mean, Kay does some questioning, at least to a certain degree. He's the one who says, I'm, but I'm innocent and what can I do? It's more the other characters who seem to know exactly what is going on. On the other hand, know nothing or can tell nothing to Kay. And for us as the readers, we begin to identify with Kay. I think that is the great thing about this style, that Kay accepts certain things because he cannot do otherwise, but other things he is like the reader. He is asking, hang on, why is it like that? That's kind of strange. What is going on here? So he's our entry point into this weird world. Just as he doesn't understand it, we also don't understand it, just that we survive the novel. He's our dream avatar. He is the, I don't know, some sort of... Um, Inception reference insert here. What's also very dreamlike about these scenes is that they start out eerie, but then there's a mix. Sometimes it's even very funny. For example, when the two agents who arrest him simply have his breakfast. Or then the big fat belly of one of the agents keeps bumping against him. That's a very funny image. But then they very often turn and suddenly become very scary and very palpably frightening and threatening. And you feel that as well when you're reading it. I think The Trial is one of the great novels that is not just great by reputation, but also because when you read it, you will actually really have a feeling of suspense. I think that's another thing that maybe connects Kafka to Lovecraft, that he is a horror author of sorts. I mentioned that other works by Kafka have the same quality, and actually I never finished America Because it starts off with a scene that was straight out of one of my nightmares. A man who goes off board of a ship and realizes he's forgotten something and goes back in. And he doesn't find his way anymore. And the ship will depart any minute. And he's looking for it. And the hallways and passages are all unfamiliar. And I, I read that passage and I had to lay down the book and say, Okay, that's it. Not, not for me anymore. And with the trial, you have some scenes that remind me of that. The scene where he goes to look for the courtroom and the hallways of that tenement building, and suddenly it's there. That is very reminiscent of this kind of dream logic. Also, in one scene, Kay is in his bank where he works, and then he suddenly comes across the two agents who arrested him, who are being whipped because he complained about them in court. And this idea that you open up a storage closet, basically, and suddenly there's something completely unexpected and deeply, deeply disturbing as well. Creeps me out. It's not necessarily scary, but there is a term that fits Kafka's tone perfectly, the uncanny. The uncanny is, as defined by Freud, a mixture of what you know, but also it's kind of twisted and unknown at the same time. And this is exactly this kind of atmosphere. We also know situations like the one Kay is going through, but we also know that nothing fits together. This is this strange effect, this dreamlike, oneric effect, that you somehow know what is going on, you know certain people, situations, places, but nothing really is as it should be. You already mentioned Freud. I'm wondering, if the novel is a bit like a dream, does that make it more or less rewarding to look for meaning in it? 
Because on the one hand, dream interpretation is of course something a lot of people engage in, but it's also slightly dumb. And especially, of course, in the early 20th century, Sigmund Freud is the big name we have to mention in connection to dream analysis. And Kafka knew a bit about psychoanalysis and was kind of interested in it, but not very much. So I wonder, can we actually gain anything from analyzing the trial in terms of the unconscious? Is the court our superego or something like that? Well, I think it's more about describing this dreamlike quality than actually finding meaning in it. But that didn't keep people from trying to interpret Kafka in so many different ways. And I think the trial has been read in two major ways, probably. On the one hand, people try to read it as a general account of the human experience. What K is going through is a kind of existentialist reading of being thrown into life, not knowing what to do, and in the end, yeah, well, you die and you didn't get any closer to some kind of truth. A professor of mine in America once defined the idea of psychoanalysis as the ego comes into the world and is like, ah! That's basically it. I'm always reminded of that wonderful scene in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy where the sperm whale suddenly materializes and tries to come to terms with what is going on and giving names to things and making sense of it, and in the end, he just explodes on the ground. But there's also a political reading of many of Kafka's works, the trial especially, because all the things that were features of totalitarian regimes in the second half of the 20th century are already there. People being arrested for no reason and not being told what their crime is. The paranoia that comes with being persecuted and you don't know what for. The general suspicion that the entire population is under. Oh, uh, hang on, that's still with us. All of these political readings are, of course, after the fact. Kafka wasn't a very political man. In fact, on the day that World War I started, he simply noted in his diary, Germany declared war on Russia today. In the afternoon, I went swimming. He didn't know that the communists, the Stalinists, would take power in Russia and do horrible things. He didn't know about the rise of National Socialism. And he died in the 20s, when the communists' dictatorship was in its infancy. So all of these are after the fact, but they still work, don't they? I think they do. I mean, even in Kafka's time, the beginning of the 20th century, you had this idea of the modern state as something less than benevolent. I mean, you mentioned World War I, and while Kafka wasn't maybe a political man, he realized what kind of a world he was living in. We talked about the whole idea of modernism, that modern life is something maybe sometimes also horrible. And I think that notion of a world in which people don't have control over their lives anymore, maybe due to business factors, maybe due to political factors, maybe due to technology, that is something that is very prevalent in Kafka as well. True, he didn't live to see the rise of National Socialism in Austria and in Czechoslovakia. But still, the way to that kind of climax of totalitarianism was paved in the years he was living and writing in. I actually first read the trial because it was assigned reading for my high school diploma in German. And I liked it, but I think I never really understood the political reading until I moved to Berlin and did my national service there and experienced bureaucracy in its ugliest form. Because of you as 
probably a middle class, probably white person think you have experienced the bad side of bureaucracy. Believe me, you haven't. In Berlin, I accompanied some of the patients of the clinic I worked at to the unemployment office, for example. And I realized those were people that the system didn't give a shit about. And only then do you realize why bureaucracy is referred to as Kafka-esque. These people are trapped in systems that not even the agents of the systems themselves understand. And there was actually a moment where I was standing in the job agency in Neukölln, kind of a bad part of Berlin, and I suddenly realized, oh, that's what the trial is about. You mean a kind of a hip part of Berlin, because everything changes, only bureaucracy doesn't. I still think the existential reading has its merits, though. I do as well. And I think the kind of solution I come to is a kind of syncretism between the two. Because on the one hand, you don't have to read the trial as explicitly political. Bureaucracy is something political, of course, but it's also something we experience in our everyday lives. And that's the same for other aspects, this notion of powerlessness against the things happening in our lives. That is more the kind of existential reading. But on the other hand, I think this is a very modern book. It is about the horrors of modernity, and that fits very well with The Wasteland and all the other modernist authors in other European countries. This is about people realizing, hang on, uh, I kind of lost the meaning in my life, and I'm still faced with these things, and they all kind of draw me into this deep depression, but help? And that is something that is, I, I don't know, that hasn't changed since the 1920s. That is still here nowadays. And that is something that is both global, uh, but also very much a modern thought. I would also advocate a kind of fusion of the two readings, because... Essentially, you can see the political reading as a subset of the existentialist reading. In the existentialist reading, the court can stand for anything. It can stand for the state, it can stand for a totalitarian regime, but it can also stand for the system of academia, for example, which we're both in to a certain extent, and I think we both feel a bit Kafkaesque about it sometimes. Well, you may be. I'm one of the court members, so... Oh, you've crossed over. So you're probably going to take me outside and stab me now. Maybe, maybe not. Don't you know? <laughs> it would also be kind of reductionist to just talk about two major ways of interpretation. What makes Kafka so interesting is that, yeah, this question of what does it all mean, which frustrates so many high school students. That means that there are many different ways of reading. And I think one that is quite popular with many literary scholars is trying to connect the whole thing to Kafka as an author, as a person, as we mentioned, kind of an oddball persona that he had. So maybe you need a special kind of mind to write something as, well, Kafka-esque as The Trial. Certainly for me, Kafka was a fascinating person before he became an author to me. I knew about his life before I knew his work. In that way, he's a bit like Oscar Wilde, really, though the two people couldn't have been more different, I imagine. There are these authors whose personality sort of overshadows their work. And ironically, Kafka is one of them, even though he was such a shy and withdrawn man. He was 
self-loathing, certainly, and to a certain extent, Joseph K. is that as well. But Kafka was also aware of that this self-loathingness is somehow phony to an extent. So he was able to have the insight, see his flaws, exaggerate his flaws, and realize that it was a mistake to exaggerate his flaws. But he was definitely not a happy man. Now, sometimes people say, oh, this event in Kafka's life corresponds to this thing in his literature, and I think that's going too far. But definitely, especially in the case of Kafka, the biography of the author and the work is knitted up with each other. For example, the fact that he always wrote at night, just by the light of a single desk lamp. The fact that he had a very disturbed relationship with his father, who was a bully. And then you see all these physically aggressive bullies in the novels. And I cannot imagine that that is not in some way related. Well, they fuck you up, your mom and dad. They may not mean to, but they do. But I'm kind of against this autobiographical reading. I'm more of the Roland Barthes school, where I say, well, the author is dead, and we don't need to know about Kafka's life to kind of interpret his writing. There's exactly two things I know, no, three things I know about Kafka's life, that he was an insurance clerk, that he had a difficult relationship with his father, and that his one-time fiancée, Felice Bauer, is the, I think, great-grandmother of indie songwriter Adam Green. That's the extent of my biographical knowledge about Kafka. His relationships with women are another point, actually. Yeah, but... Come yeah, on, come on. The, so many people all have the complicated with relationships women in the with women. Are really fucked no. up. Yeah, they are. Be. They are, but still, I don't... I don't need to know about think, Kafka's think, life to know that sometimes you have fucked up uh, relationships with women. But doesn't it add something? Maybe I'm too much of a historian to accept that the historical context and the context of the person who wrote the source doesn't matter. I think what's more important for me is how people read that, how people react to that, and that there is something universal in that that people still relate to nowadays, that people can see something in the tyrannical father or authority figures, that people can relate to the fucked up relationships with women, although in different ways, hopefully, than back in the day. Although, come to think of it, I think these, let's call them relationships, that Joseph K. has with several women in the course of the trial, they are not supposed to be positive, are they? Hopefully, no. Because... I would like to think that Franz Kafka was not such a horrible misogynist as Joseph K. is. Let's talk a bit more about Joseph K. actually, because he's an interesting character. He's often seen as this meek victim because he's arrested for no good reason. But is he actually? Because throughout the novel we see that he's a real asshole. Definitely is. We mentioned his relationship to female characters in the book and what he does is he sexually assaults another lodger in the lodging house where he stays he has very meaningless relationships with women and simply uses them to get back at other men sometimes or to get ahead in the whole trial thing just using the wife of the court usher because she promises him that she has connections to the court presidents and things like that and he's not that nice of a guy also he looks down on his inferiors at the bank and he really sucks up to his superiors. Also, when he sees the two agents who arrested him being whipped and they plead that he should help them, he turns his back on them. 
and actually slams the door. So he is a typical banker in a lot of ways. He is a coward on the one hand, but in the courtroom scene, for example, he gets very aggressive because he thinks that he has the upper hand. He has the right to talk to these people as if he is their boss, basically. And that is a very fascinating scene because we are given only his interpretation of their reactions. And if we reread that scene, their reactions could mean something else entirely. But it's Joseph Kay who thinks, yes, obviously, these are all stupid people and I need to tell them the truth and I will do so. And he is really self-righteous there. But Jonas, do you think that makes him less of an identification figure or more of an identification figure? You're asking me whether I think I'm an asshole. Basically, yes. I definitely am. So yes, that makes him more of an identification figure. Makes two of us. To come back to the influence of Kafka's personality on the book, because I, I'm still not satisfied with not having convinced you that it's important. I think it really is. The fact that he's an insurance man can be seen in the style of the novel as well. Let's talk about style. Let's talk about language. Because, interestingly, it has taken us almost a year to read a novel in our native language, German. So, in the German original, the language is very formal. It's what you would expect an insurance man to sound like when he writes fiction. I've actually read some of Kafka's insurance reports as well, and they are very similar in style. Very formal, very reserved. You reread the trial in a translation, actually. How does the translation deal with that language? Is it also very formal, very official sounding? It is. And in the beginning, I actually did a very short side-by-side -side comparison. And it fit quite nicely that in the English as well, you have this kind of these short sentences in a very clear but formal kind of distanced style. And that again, I think, adds to the atmosphere. And I mean, it is also kind of fitting that in a novel that deals with a bank clerk that has to fight the legal system or tries to fight the legal system, that it is about definitions, about reading and misreading certain clues, about the relationships between people on different levels of authority. And yeah, okay, I agree. In that sense, Kafka had maybe a certain insight. As an insurance clerk, he was basically in the same position as Joseph K. is. Generally, the people in Kafka's fiction sort of have these kinds of boring middle-class office jobs. So Joseph K. is a banker. Gregor Samsa in Metamorphosis is a traveling salesman. All these kinds of jobs you could imagine would crush your soul until you write some very, very disturbing short novels and short stories. But let us come to our verdict. Is the trial actually as good as people say? Is wait, it a book? Wait, 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 wait. Do you mean we come to our verdict in the trial on the trial? Yes, exactly. Exactly. So we kill the book? And it dies like a... No. Oh, no, we we, okay. we don't kill dogs on this podcast. We we oh we like it's outside oh, yeah, of a right. dog. Yeah. <laughs> My verdict would be, yeah, the trial is not only a brilliant book that tells us something about the human condition, about politics, but it is a book that is just enjoyable to read as well. And it will scare you, it will amuse you, and it will actually entertain you. Definitely read it. I disagree with regard to the enjoyment or entertainment. I mean, there are some funny parts in there, but Kafka is actually a really, really disturbing writer. And I mean that by entertaining. I don't mean entertaining in the sense of funny. I mean entertaining in disturbing, but in a, for lack of a better word, entertaining way. And you call me a sick and perverted man. 
Well, yeah, I agree. In fact, I would even go so far as to say, do not just read the trial, read Metamorphosis and the castle and America and in the penal colony and all the other short pieces of writing that Kafka has produced because Kafka is one of those few writers where you can say there is no one quite like him. His vision is really, really unique and it's incredibly influential, incredibly important and the whole adjective thing is more than justified. Kafka is one of those few figures in world literature or literary history that really deserve their status as one of the, the great ones. So read the trial. But if you have already read the trial or if you still don't feel like it, what is there that you could read instead? I really, really like the dreamlike quality of Kafka's writing, this nightmarish dream logic. And on the one hand, I think you can find that in other media as well. For example, the films of David Lynch. You may say many things about Lynch, but he really knows how to transport that dreamlike quality to cinema and film. There is actually a decent adaptation of The Trial by Orson Welles. Now, you would think, great novel by a great author, great filmmaker Orson Welles, what can go wrong? Well, quite a lot. Orson Welles, I think, messed up the ending very badly. But still, his film has its merit. Though I wish there was a film adaptation that actually preserved the fragmented nature of the novel. That, for example, when a scene stops, the film simply stops and cuts to the next scene. That's something film can do a lot better than literature, so why not do that? On the other hand, maybe it doesn't have to be a nightmare all of the time. So my next recommendation is kind of a strange one, but maybe that fits the Kafka-esque spirit. It's a fantasy novel by an author called Tom Lafarge. The book is called The Crimson Bears, and at first glance it's a very traditional fantasy story with talking animals nonetheless. But at the same time, this is a book that really conveys a dreamlike quality in a positive sense. Do you know these dreams that you have where you explore a strange world? You don't really know where you're going and what is happening, but it's not bad. It's a good thing. And you come across strange things that are actually really, really nice. For me, The Crimson Bears is a book that really conveys that atmosphere. Go out if you can find it. The Crimson Bears by Tom Lafarge. I'm actually not going to recommend something to read instead of The Trial. You have to read The Trial. Sorry, no getting out of that. But I want to recommend something additional. I want to recommend Kafka's Dick. If you want, you can leave that. It's a play written by Alan Bennett. And it deals with this question of who is Kafka? Can we actually know who Kafka is? Do we actually have to know who Kafka is? But the play is also just a really funny comedy where an insurance man sits at home writing an article about Franz Kafka. And then suddenly Max Brod turns up and he has urinated on the tortoise. And the tortoise then suddenly turns into Franz Kafka. And then suddenly Kafka's father turns up. And this whole question of fathers and the relationship between sons and fathers and what makes a good father and what makes a bad father and which one you would want to be is dealt with in a very hilarious way that involves some slapstick, some dirty humor and a lot of, well, for a lack of a better term, Kafkaesqueness. So my recommendation is Kafka's Dick by Alan Bennett. But what is your opinion on the trial? You can judge us and give us feedback on Facebook, Outside of a Dog. You can find us on iTunes and leave us a feedback there, especially if the feedback is just fuck you and five stars. You can also write an email to outsideofadogcast at gmail.com. Our homepage is outsideofadogcast.com. And we're on Twitter at outsideofahound. 
So Christian, after we've dealt with witches in Scotland and monsters in the Antarctic and bureaucracy in Prague, what are we going to do for our next episode? Well, we talked about parents and how they may fuck you up. And I think that is something horrible to continue on. What we're going to read next time is another graphic novel, namely Fun Home by Alison Bechtel. Let's test how that holds up. No, no, no. It, trial, judging, no. not test. No, no, but the Bechtel test, you see? that this is... Oh! Yeah, because I know my feminism. Dick. Thank you very much for listening. For more information, visit outsideofadogcast.com. Wait, 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 wait. Don't stop, don't stop. Um, um, this episode hasn't had too many jokes in it because it was uh, kind of intense, but um, penal colony. Penal. Sounds like penis. Yes, it does. The penis um, colony. It's... Um, Actually, if you consider the penal colony, what they do with the people there. Oh, where they... It's, it's like rubbing your dick against someone's back or something. No. <laughs> okay, now we can stop.